how many of you have Facebook or not, but uh, I do that from time to time. Just to keep up with some of you to find out what you're doing. Some of it's good and some of it's not so good. But, uh, you know, if life was exactly like it was on Facebook, we'd all be rich and healthy and life is wonderful, right? I mean, we project this thing on Facebook. So uh, we finally got our Christmas tree up last uh, yesterday afternoon and, and part of last night. And uh, it's a 20-plus-year-old Christmas tree. I have been threatening for years to buy one of those, and some of you may have them. You know, you just kind of stick them together, and you unfold, and you plug it in, and the lights are on. How many of you have one of those? I don't like you. No, I, I do. I have one. It's a seven-foot tree, but uh, uh, we have, you know, upstairs we have, uh, I think it's, uh, what is it, about 11-foot uh, ceiling, Mike? You built my house, something like that. And uh, so, you know, you put a seven-foot tree in something like that, it just doesn't work. And so our old Christmas tree is, uh, is about a about a ten and a half footer, I guess, so it does fit. But the problem with those old trees, they're, very, they're large. You know, they, they kind of go like this. You know what I'm talking about? They just bam. And so uh, I don't have a really big living room to put it in, so we always have that problem of what to do with stuff. And so we finally got it up. It's one of those trees you have to get each branch and hook it on all the way around. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you got to fluff it up, you know, and uh, you put lights on it, and then you put all the, the bulbs on it and all of that. And, and so um, we did that yesterday afternoon, and I got through that, that wonderful experience. <laughs> and, uh, but as I was thinking about today, and I was thinking about what I was doing, you know what I hate most about trimming a tree? The most thing I don't like of all things of trimming a tree are those stupid lights. You know what I'm talking about? I don't care what you do or how careful you are, you put them in a box for next year and you think this year is going to be the year I'm going to pull them out and they're not going to be tangled. And they are. I've wrapped them. I've done everything you can possibly imagine, but they still tangle. And you got to be gentle with them. And when you're, you know, my size, it's hard to be gentle. So, you know, you got to be careful with those kind of things. And, and so I think they move around in there. It's kind of a, a you know, Let's, let's get the old guy and let's just start to move in there and, and kind of mess it up. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Patty goes in there, opens the lids and moves it around. I'm not quite sure. Just, just, and so it's, it's been sort of a tradition to watch Dad undo the lights and see how frustrated he can get, you know? And uh, it drives me crazy. I don't know what you're thinking. It's a very short trip for you to crazy, but it does drive me crazy. And so I got, you know, I, I have thought about several times, what about a Christmas tree without lights? Would that, be, would that be a good thing? Why not? It's not a Christmas tree without lights. And whenever you see one, if you ever do, and sometimes it's in a mall or one of those department stores, it, you know, there's not a light plug nearby. You just kind of, hey, it's, it's pretty, but it's missing something. It's missing lights. We would never put up a Christmas tree without lights. And we often put it near a window, you know, so that people drive by and they can see your Christmas tree and, and know which home to rob and which one not to rob as they pass by. But nonetheless... You know, the size of your tree is how many presents you have. No, I don't just so. Be careful. But anyway, a Christmas tree without lights is not a Christmas tree. Because there's something beautiful about a tree. You're in a semi-dark room and the lights light up and it just, it just, bam, it's beautiful, isn't it? It lights up the room. And it's so wonderful to sit there in the morning. Patty and I was sitting in the morning with, she had the, the lights on and she was in there reading uh, the word and getting ready for this morning and drinking her coffee with the lights on. And it's just a beautiful thing. It lights up the darkness in the room and it adds beauty to the room. And it's a beautiful thing. What is a Christian without light? 
not a reality. You can't be a Christian without light. We've been talking about beholding the light. And if you are a Christian today, if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, the the Lord Jesus Christ now dwells in you. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And because he is the light, now his light dwells in you. And we, like a Christmas tree, are to be light bearers. To bring brilliance, to bring light, to pierce the darkness, and to display the magnificent and the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light that lives within us. And so today, as, as we take this, this quick journey through this passage, not John 1, 1 through 5, that was last week, but beginning with verse 6 through verse 13, we're going to take a look at what it means to be a light bearer. There are three things that I want us to study together. So open your Bibles and let's go to the right passage. I hope that I put it up there and it's my fault. I did not check it, but uh, the passage is, is uh, John 1, verse 6 through verse 13. That's the passage you did read, right, Brother Andy, Pastor Andy? Thank you. So as light bearers, there are three things that we are to do. First of all, as a light bearer, we are to faithfully testify. Notice in John chapter 1, verse 6, he says, There was a man who sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Notice verse 6. He says here that in his testimony, there is a plan that is clear. The plan that is clear. Notice he said there was a man. It's interesting that he identifies the man. It's, it's almost, as I looked at this, it sort of boggled my mind a little bit because... Verses 1 through 5, there's this beautiful picture about this beautiful person named Jesus that he, for five verses, just in, in just very short words, but so brilliantly describes this magnificent Jesus that was born in Bethlehem uh, many years ago. This beautiful picture of Christ that is fully God, yet fully man. He is divine. And now all of a sudden, he jumps from that to verse 6, and now he describes a man named John. He says, a man. And, and here, there's this stark contrast here between Jesus and the man. And he identifies John as the man. He is a man just like you and I are human beings. He is prone to all the frailties and all the sensitivities and all the weaknesses that we are. He is a man. Because I think often when we read the Bible and we look and learn about these beautiful people that the Bible describes as they lived out their lives, we often, we often have a tendency to think that they're subhuman, that they're not like us. But I think... The Holy Spirit wants us to understand as we study now, John, that he is a man with all the frailties and the sensitivities and the weaknesses that we have. Yes, he was chosen by God, but he was a man and that it is mankind, it is human beings, it is persons that God chooses as the avenue or the vessel for the light that he wants to bear in the darkness of the world. And as a human being, you are that light and he uses us and all of our frailties and all of our weaknesses as humans to be light bearers there was a man notice he was sent from god he was sent from god he was he was clearly sent by god he didn't appoint himself he didn't step up to the plate he didn't say i'll do it god selected him god called him god commissioned him even in his conception from the very beginning of his life until now to be exactly what he was created and made to be, that which would testify of the coming Lord Jesus Christ. There was a man who was sent from God. And we, too, have a great commission, don't we? 
to go into all the world. And we, like John, even though we're humans, are the vessels that God uses to be sent by him into a world filled with darkness. But he says that he was a man named John. Why John? He's being very specific here. There's a specific designation in this text that identifies John as the primary light bearer. No one else was selected for this position. No one else was selected for this job. It was John the Baptist who God selected to be this particular light bearer. God has a specific designation for you as his light bearer in the place that he has called you to serve and to live. He knows you by name. And he's called you and commissioned you also like John to be that light bearer in the community, in the place that he has assigned for you. And so John, we see in this text, he, he understood that the plan was clear. Secondly, we see in verse 7 that his purpose was also clear. What was his purpose? He came as a witness. He came to bear witness. That word witness is an interesting word. You can't be a witness and be silent, can you? You can't sit on, a, sit on a stand and bear witness of something that you know to be true and be silent. You're, you're, you're going to be asked questions and you're expected to speak. And so John the Baptist was one, he was a herald, he was proclaiming, he was speaking in the wilderness as a witness of the truth that Jesus Christ is coming. And so we, like John, must witness not just with our lives, but we must witness with our voices and declare and proclaim loudly the witness of the light that has come. He came as a witness, notice to bear witness about the light, to bear witness about the light. What did he do? He put the spotlight on Jesus. He was not the center of attention. He was not standing on the platform saying, look at me, I am the center of the universe. He was pointing people to Jesus as the light. He knew full well his responsibility was to direct people to Christ. I think sometimes, and I'm going to, on this side note, sometimes we think that our churches are the light of the world, or maybe our ministry is the light of the world, or maybe if we dare to even admit that maybe we think we're the answer to the problems of the world, but we are not. Jesus is the light that we are to point people to. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. What was the purpose? What was his task? Was so that people could put their faith and trust in Christ. He was direct them, directing them to Jesus so that they could believe through him, through Christ. We are to point people to Christ because <laughs> it's only through him by which we are saved. And as people place their faith and trust in him, it is he who saves them, not us. And so we must point them to Christ and we must encourage them to put their faith, their confidence, and their trust in Christ. For John clearly understood his place in this calling. Notice verse 8, it said he was not the light. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. He understood his position in the whole scheme of things. He was not the primary figure. He was not the one that was to get all the attention. I mean, when you think about John the Baptist, he was a man that had this itinerant ministry. Even though he was in the wilderness, he was incredibly successful because people from all around came to hear John proclaim his message. And you have a tendency to think that as this itinerant, successful preacher, that he might have had some sort of an ego to think that maybe he might have been. You think there was a temptation because he was a man just like you and I are, just like we are. And sometimes in our success, we have a tendency to gloat in that success and somehow believe in ourselves and to think that we are 
something or something more than we are not. John the Baptist was clear his position and his place in the, the scheme of things. He was simply a messenger pointing people to the Messiah. He was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. But notice in verse 9, the true light, the real light, who Jesus Christ came to be that proclamation, that revelation of the truth, the gospel who, who saves us. He is the revelation of God through the message of God, which is the gospel, the true light, which gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. What is his priority? Christ is on his way. He is well aware of that reality. I mean, his mom and, and Mary got together before they were born. Uh, he's a little bit older than Christ. He got a little bit ahead on on his beginning of his ministry, and he was already a successful, itinerant, very productive guy in the wilderness, had a great following, had disciples already, and yet he realized that Christ was coming, and his priority was to prepare those who would hear his message of repentance that Jesus the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior, is on his way, and that one of these days he is going to come, and you better be ready. How do we know that this is the testimony of John the Baptist? In John, later on in John chapter 1, if you have your Bible, not on the screen, let's just look at John 1.19 for just a minute. Let's sort of wrap our, our minds and our thoughts around John and his message in John 1.19. Verse 19 said, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He knows his position. He knows his place. I am not the Christ. I am not the answer to the solution to your sin. I am not the Savior. And they asked him, then, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, making straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Verse 24, give us a little clarification. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor prophet? And John answered them, am I baptized with water? But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of, the, of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Notice he says in verse 23, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. In the darkness, in the des desolate places, in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Making straight the way of the Lord. Christ has already come, hasn't he? We celebrate Christmas every year at this same time of the year. And we, unlike John the Baptist, are to make straight the way of the Lord, to reflect and reveal the truth about Jesus because he is the true life. He is the life, the, the way, and he is the, the avenue. He is the means by which people are saved. But we are to prepare people for his return. For one of these days, the trumpet of God will blow and the dead in Christ will rise and those of us who remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds and we will be forever with the Lord and there will not be another opportunity for anyone after that moment to place their faith and trust in Christ. There will be an end to this life, an end to this world and we must then be, become faithful stewards and be faithful testifiers to be witnesses in a world that is filled with darkness as the light to project that light in the world filled with darkness so that men and women might be prepared spiritually 
for when Christ does return. As light bearers, we are to faithfully testify. You are, as a Christian, a light in a world filled with darkness. How do you shine? Secondly, a light bearer is not only a light bearer who faithfully testifies, but who completely trusts. Uh, this is something that sometimes pastors and, and people who are evangelists have a tendency to, to, to sort of um, um, a struggle with because uh, we, we want results. We want people to respond. We want people to, to place their faith and trust in Christ. And, and many evangelists and many people use, use things to sort of persuade people or, or to maneuver people into making decisions that sometimes they're not real decisions. We, we have a hard time with this trust factor because we think that, that because we, 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 we bear the light, we we, we share the gospel, we introduce people to Jesus, we want them to respond. But the reality is that, that they only respond because they're led of the Lord to do so. And yet we have a responsibility to be light bearers, to proclaim and to share the gospel of Christ. And our responsibility is simply to share it. Our responsibility is not the results. Our responsibility is not the results. Our responsibility is to share. How do you know that? Verse, verse 10, notice he was in the world and the world was made through him he was in the world and the world was made through him notice that not even jesus not even jesus had 100% people who responded to his revelation of himself and if jesus didn't have that kind of results then how can we expect of us or ourselves or even our church to have those kind of results he was in the world he came, born of a virgin in a little town called Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lived a sinless life. He then was baptized by John the Baptist and set out his teaching, revealing ministry, proclaiming himself as the Savior, as the promised Messiah who has come. And there are some, notice, in the world that did not know him. I mean, if you can, if you can think about it for a minute, here's... Jesus, who we, who we described last week, Jesus was a part of creation in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, he created all things with God, and he was the creator. We saw how Jesus was the source of life, physical life, that all life on this planet, saved or unsaved, believer or unbeliever, everything was made by him. And when he came, born of a virgin, and lived his life and began his ministry, he was walking in a world that he created. Everything that he's touching and everything that he's seeing and everything that he's breathing and everyone that he's talking to are there because he gave them life, and yet they did not recognize him. Have you ever been to one of those family reunions where you had to introduce yourself as part of the family? Well, I'm part of your family. I, hi, I'm, you know. Jesus is walking around in a world that he created and they don't recognize him. He came and he created the world, yet they don't see him. They don't personally see him and accept him and trust in him. Now, the, why don't they? Well, you notice they're a part of the world. What is the world? The world is in depravity. The world is living in darkness. They're walking around blindly. They cannot see. And because they cannot see, they do not recognize that their creator and that their savior is in their midst. Notice in the next verse, in verse 11, that there were some who did not receive him. 
Notice he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. His own people did not receive him. And you start looking at that, so what does that mean? What do you mean his own people? Well, this reference by the Holy Spirit through the penmanship of John is helping us understand that Jesus came to the people of Abraham, the people that God chose his own people through Abraham, who had been given not the living word, but the written word, the, the Old Testament. And, and they had scribes and Pharisees and teachers, and they understood that the Messiah had been promised and that the Savior was coming, and they were anticipating his arrival. And when he came, he walked in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and throughout the whole land of Israel, declaring himself as the Messiah, as the Savior, who came to save them from their sin against God, and yet they did not receive him. They had insight, they had understanding, but they did not receive him. And so we sort of scratch our heads and we want to know why did they not receive him. Interesting, turn in your Bibles, not on your screen, to Matthew 7. Jesus gives his disciples some clear insight as to why they did not receive him, why they did not recognize him. The Bible says in Matthew, Jesus' own words, verse 13, chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. How did the many receive Christ? They didn't recognize him. They didn't receive him. The few did. The few. Notice the, the many go by the wide way. Why? Because it's easy. It's the few who go by the narrow way, the harder way. Not everybody that encountered Christ, believed in him, and received him as their Savior. And if they didn't respond to Christ that way, why do we then fault ourselves because they don't respond to us in a different way? We must understand that while we have a responsibility to bear the light and to share the light and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, that's all, that, that's all there is to our responsibility. We have done what God has called us to do is to be light bearers. And not everyone is going to receive and to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as their Savior. We must leave the results to him, to completely trust him in our assignment, to fulfill our responsibility, to simply become heralds like John the Baptist, and let, and I hate to say this, but let the chips fall where they may, because we're not responsible for the results. We're only responsible for being faithful and what God has called us to do. I don't know about you, but take a look at the Bible if, if you want to. And I, I have this struggle in ministry uh, in all these years is that uh, pastors have a tendency to judge each other based upon the results that they have, size of their congregation and all that kind of stuff. And a couple of weeks ago, I was with a, uh, we were at a reception down in our fellowship hall and our dining hall and, and I was introduced to a pastor, and right out of the gate, he said, I'm, I'm a pastor of a small church. And I said, brother, I said, uh, that, that's not a very good designation because what I believe is I believe that all of God's business is big business. Don't value yourself to God based upon the size of your congregation. 
we have a tendency to, to judge based upon results. I don't know of any, anyone in the New Testament that pastored a mega church. The only mega church in the Bible, in the book of Acts, that began was blown up by the Holy Spirit. Our, our purpose and our objective should never become to become a mega church. It is to be a good steward to herald the gospel of Christ and leave the results to Christ. And anything that is given and gained is solely by grace. No one can take credit for any result, absolutely zero, nada, none at all. And some of us who are pastors know that Sometimes when we have pastor meeting, it's like going to a Banny Rooster contest. But it's all by grace. Notice not only should we completely trust God with the results, and that brings us into the fact that what we are leading people to do is to bring transformation. Light bearers, we are to bring transformation. You are a light bearer. I don't know about you, but when you just take a small candle and you put it in a room that is completely pitch dark, what happens to it? That light penetrates. It pierces the darkness, and it changes the complexity of the room, and you can now see. So when we, as his light bearers, bring that light into being, there's something miraculous and supernatural that happens. Notice verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I like that word, but. It is, however, there's another side of the coin. There are many, many who rejected Christ. However, there are some, and of those some, all who received. I like that word, all. That means that there's no, those who receive, all of those who receive, there, there's no one who can receive him who's not going to receive him, who's not going to become a recipient of this beautiful blessing called being a child of God and a recipient of salvation for all who receive him. But we must receive him. That word receive him means to take him. It means to hold him. It means to willing and release ourselves to him. For all who believe, he gave the right. They receive and they believe he gave them the right to become children of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a problem with that word right, but the word right should really be privilege. It's a blessing, isn't it? To be adopted, to be born, to be placed in the family of God. It is a privilege that we have now the privilege to be children of God. Notice he didn't say sons of God. He said children of God. Why? Because there's only really one son. And his name is Jesus. But yet we might be sons and daughters, but we are by adoption, right? And we are adopted into his family. We are born again. Notice, he says, but whoever receives him to him and believe in his name. We must believe in his name. Why name here? Because name is a designation of the totality of the character and the nature and the work or the activity of Christ. And so as we place our trust and faith in his name, we are doing so in not only believing who he is, but we believe in what he has done. In his name, notice we have the right to become children of God. We become his offspring. That's a beautiful transformation because we were at enmity and hostility with him. Now we are adopted into his family. And how does that happen? It happens by being born again. Notice who were born. 
we were born. He's talking about the new life in, in which the Holy Spirit of God, based upon when we turn from, from, from ourselves and turn to him by grace through faith, we put our trust in him as our Savior. He breathes new life into us. And we talked about it last week. In the light bearer gives us light and he gives us life. And that life is not only physical life, but he gives us spiritual life and eternal life. And now we are born again. We are born anew. We become these new creations in Christ, not of blood, but the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. It's not something that we can just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to be born again today. Not by man's activity or by man's choice, but by God. Notice he says that it is but by God. It is God alone who chooses us and who bursts us into his family. One last passage in John 3, and we'll close. Not on the screen, but maybe in your Bible if you have one. John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. There's a guy in the Bible called Nicodemus who, who sort of struggles with this whole concept of being born again. John 3, verse 1. Now there was a man in the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. A man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, still questioning, said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to that which we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into the heaven except who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Christ came to give us eternal life. And when we accept the responsibility of being light bearers. We not only transform a dark world into lightness, we bring that light into life, and we then see the transforming work of the Spirit of God taking act, activity in and upon someone's life, and he totally and completely transforms them through what we call the new life. How does that happen? By receiving and believing in Christ for all he is and all what he came to do. And when that happens, new life begins. A transformation takes place. A transformation that must be necessary for without the new birth, there is no life. Sure, you can have physical life, but you won't have spiritual life, you won't have abundant life, and you won't have eternal life. The new birth is definitely necessary in order for us to see the transforming work of the Holy Spirit upon our lives and the lives of others. So as Christians who have been born and who now have the right, we've been adopted as sons and daughters, as children of God. 
we now are his light bearers. And I don't know of anything more beautiful in Christmas time than the lights. Right? Lights. And as his lights, in all of the beauty that we reflect that is his, we bring hope in a world filled with darkness and despair. And I encourage you to be lights in the dark world that you live in. And to be that light to bring transformation. What kind of light bearer are you today? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm convinced most of us are hiding our lights under bushels. Because we're afraid to be light bearers. You're a light bearer if you're a Christian. It's your responsibility. But it's a beautiful opportunity. To go into the world that we live in. And to shine his light. To share his light. So that others can find the hope that we've come to believe and know. Through faith in Christ. Will you pray with me?